0: Thank mm-hmm. you. interesting things, bringing you what's tasty from Farmstand the Bookshelf. I'm your host, Dan Leonardbeck. Right now, we're reading the Camer*on by Giovanni Pagaccio. Today, we're reading the introduction to day one. The introduction introduces us to the characters and how they know each other, and shows us their decision to leave Florence and go together to the countryside to avoid the plague. It sets up the premise and structure of the rest of the Decameron. Without further ado, here's my guest reader, Catherine. Day the First here beginneth the first day of the Decameron, wherein, after demonstration made, by the author, of the manner in which it came to pass, that the persons you are hereinafter presented, foregathered for the purpose of devising together, under the governance of Pompanea, is discoursed of that which is most agreeable unto each. As often, most gracious ladies, as, taking thought in myself, I mind me how very pitiful you are all by nature, so often do I recognize that this present work will, to your thinking, have a grievous and a weariful beginning, inasmuch as the dolorous remembrance of the late pestiferous mortality, which it beareth on its forefront, is universally irksome to all who saw or otherwise knew it. But I would not therefore have this affright you from reading further, as if in the reading you were still to fare among sighs and tears." Let this grisly beginning be none other to you than is to wayfarers a rugged and steep mountain, beyond which is situate a most fair and delightful plain, which latter cometh so much the pleasanter to them, as the greater was the hardship of the ascent and the descent. For, like as duller occupieth the extreme of gladness, even so are miseries determined by imminent joyance. This brief annoy, I say brief, inasmuch as it is contained in few pages, is straightway succeeded by the pleasance and delight which I have already promised you, in which, belike, were it not aforesaid, might not be looked for from such a beginning. And in truth, could I fairly have availed to bring you to my desire, otherwise than by so rugged a path as this will be, I had gladly done it. But being in a manner constrained thereto, for that, Without this reminiscence of our past miseries, it might not be shown what was the occasion of the coming about of the things that will hereafter be read. I have brought myself to write them. I say, then, that the years of the era of the fruitful incarnation of the Son of God had attained to the number of 1,348, and into the notable city of Florence, fair over every other of Italy, there came the death-dealing pestilence, which, through the operation of the heavenly bodies, or of our own iniquitous dealings, being sent down upon mankind for our correction, by the just wrath of God, had some years before appeared in the parts of the East, and after having bereft these latter of an innumerable number of inhabitants, extending without cease from one place to another, had now unhappily spread towards the West and there against no wisdom availing, nor human foresight, whereby the city was purged of many impurities, by officers deputed to that end, and it was forbidden unto any sick person to enter therein, and many were the counsels given, for the preservation of health, nor yet humble supplications, not once, but many times, both in ordered processions, and on otherwise made unto God by devout persons. About the coming in of the spring of the aforesaid year, it began on horrible and miraculous wise to show forth its dolorous effects. Yet not as it had done in the East, where, if any blood at the nose, it was a manifest sign of inevitable death. Nay, but in men and women alike there appeared, at the beginning of the malady, certain swellings, either on the groin or under the armpits, whereof some waxed of the bigness of a common apple others like unto an egg some more and some less and these the vulgar named plague boils from these two parts the aforesaid death-bearing plague boils proceeded in brief space to appear and come indifferently in every part of the body wherefrom after a while the fashion of the contagion began to change into black or livid blotches which showed themselves in many first on the arms and about the thighs and after spread to, every other part of the person, in some large and sparse, and another small and thick sown, and like as the plague boils had been first, and yet were, a very certain token of coming death, even so were these for every one to whom they came. To the cure of these maladies nor counsel, a physician nor virtue of any medicine appeared to avail or profit aught, on the contrary whether it was that the nature of the infection suffered it not, or that the ignorance of the physicians, of whom, over and above the men of art, the number, both men and women, who had never had any teaching of medicine, was become exceeding great, availed not to know whence it arose, and consequently took not due measures thereagainst. Not only did few recover thereof, but well nigh all died within the third day, the appearance of the aforesaid signs, this sooner, and that later, and for the most part without fever, or other accident. And this pestilence was the more virulent for that. By communication with those who were sick thereof, it gat hold upon the sound, no otherwise than fire upon things dry or greasy, whenas they are brought very near thereunto. Nay, the mischief was yet greater. For that not only did converse and consortion with the sick give to the sound infection of cause of common death, but the mere touching of the clothes, or of whatsoever other thing had been touched or used of the sick, appeared of itself to communicate the malady to the toucher. A marvellous thing to hear is that which I have to tell, and one which, had it not been seen of many men's eyes, and of mine own, I had scarce dared credit much less set down in writing, though I had heard it from one worthy of belief. I say, then, that such effecence was the nature of the pestilence in question, in communicating itself from one to another, that, not only did it pass from man to man, but this, which is much more, it many times visibly did, to it, a thing which had pertained to a man sick or dead of the aforesaid sickness, being touched by an animal foreign to the human species, not only infected this latter with the plague, but in a very brief space of time killed it. Of this mine own eyes, as hath a little before been said, had one day, among others, experience on this wise, to wit, that the rags of a poor man, who had died of the plague, being cast out into the public way, two hogs came up to them, and having first after their wont, rooted amain among them with their snouts, took them in their mouths, and tossed them about in their jaws. Then, in a little while, after turning round and round, they both, as if they had taken poison, fell down dead upon the rags with which they had, in an ill hour, intermeddled. From these things, and many others like unto them, are yet stranger diverse fears and conceits, were begotten in those who abode alive, which well nigh all tended to a very barbarous conclusion, namely, to shun and flee from the sick and all that pertained to them, and thus doing, each thought to secure immunity for himself. Some there were who conceived that to live moderately, and keep oneself from all excess, was the best defence against such a danger. Wherefore, making up their company— lived removed from every other, and shut themselves up in those houses where none had been sick and where living was best, and there, using very temperately of the most delicate viands and the finest wines, eschewing all incontinence, they abode with music, and such other diversions as they might have, never suffering themselves to speak with any, nor choosing to hear any news from without of death or sick folk. Others, inclining to the contrary opinion, maintained that to carouse and make merry, and go about singing and frolicking, and satisfy the appetite, in everything possible, and laugh and scoff at whatsoever befell, was a very certain remedy for such an ill. That which they said they put in practice as best they might, going about day and night, now to this tavern, now to that, drinking without stint or measure, and on this wise they did yet more freely in other folks' houses. So but they scented aught that liked or tempted them, as they might lightly do, for that every one, and he were to live no longer, had abandoned all care of his possessions, as of himself. Wherefore the most part of the houses were become common good, and strangers used them, when as they happened upon them, like as the very owner might have done, with all this bestial preoccupation, they still shun the sick to the best of their power. In the sore affliction and misery of our city, the reverend authority of the laws, both human and divine, was all in a manner dissolved, and fallen into decay, for lack of the ministers and executors thereof, who, like other men, were all either dead, or sick, or else left so destitute of followers— that they were unable to exercise any office. Wherefore, every one had license to do whatsoever pleased him. Many others held a middle course between the two aforesaid, not straightening themselves so exactly in the manner of diet as the first, neither allowing themselves as license in drinking and other debauchery as the second, but using things in sufficiency, according to their appetites. Nor did they seclude themselves, but went about, carrying in their hands some flowers, some diverse herbs, and other some diverse kinds of spiceries, which they set often to their noses, counting it an excellent thing to fortify the brain with such odours, more by token that the air seemed all heavy and attainted with the stench of the dead bodies, and that of the sick, and of the remedies used." Some were of a more barbarous, though, peradventure, a surer way of thinking, avouching that there was no remedy against pestilences, better than, no, nor any so good as to flee before them. Wherefore, moved by this reasoning, and wrecking of naught but themselves, very many, both men and women, abandoned their own city, their own houses and homes, their kinsfolk and possessions, and sought the country seats of others or, at the least, their own, as if the wrath of God, being moved to punish the iniquity of mankind, would not proceed to do so wheresoever they might be, but would content itself with afflicting those only who were found within the walls of their city, or as if they were persuaded that no person was to remain therein, and that its last hour was come. Albeit these, who opined thus variously, died not all, Yet neither did they all escape, nay, many of each way of thinking, and in every place, sickened of the plague, and languished on all sides, well nigh abandoned, having themselves, what while they were whole, set the example to those who abode in health. Indeed, leaving me that townsmen avoided townsmen, and that well nigh no neighbour took thought unto another, and that kinsfolk seldom or never visited one another and held no converse together save from afar, whose tribulation had stricken such terror to the hearts of all, men and women alike, that brother forsook brother, uncle, nephew, and sister-brother, and oftentimes wife-husband, nay, but as yet more extraordinary and well nigh incredible, fathers and mothers refused to visit or tend their very children, as they had not been theirs. By reason whereof there remained unto those, and the number of them, both males and females, was incalculable, who fell sick, none other succor than that which they owed either to the charity of friends, and of these there were few, or of the greed of servants, who tended them, allured the by high and extravagant wage. Albeit, for all this, these latter were not grown many and those men and women of mean understanding, and for the most part unused to such offices, who served for well nigh naught but to reach things called for by the sick, or to note when they died, and in the doing of these services many of them perished with their gain. Of this abandonment of the sick by neighbours, kinsfolk and friends, and of the scarcity of servants, arose in usage before well nigh unheard, to wit, that no woman, how fair or lovesome, or well-born soever she might be, once fallen sick, wrecked aught of having a man to tend her, whatever he might be, or young or old, and without any shame discovered to him every part of her body, no otherwise than she would have done to a woman. But so the necessity of her sickness required it. The which belike in those who recovered, was the occasion of lesser modesty in time to come. Moreover, there ensued of this abandonment the death of many who, peradventure, had they been succoured, would have escaped alive. Wherefore, as well for the lack of the opportune services which the sick availed not to have as for the virulence of the plague, such was the multitude of those who died in the city by day and by night, there was an astonishment to hear tell thereof, much more to see it, and thence, as it were of necessity, sprang up among those who abode alive things contrary to the pristine manners of the townsfolk. It was then, even as we yet see it used, the custom that the kinswomen, and she-neighbours of the dead, should assemble in his house, and there condole with those who more nearly pertained unto him, whilst his neighbours, and many other citizens, were gathered with his next of kin before his house. Thither, according to the dead man's quality, came the clergy, and he, with funeral pomp of chants and candles, was borne on the shoulders of his peers to the church chosen by himself before his death, which usages, after the virulence of the plague, began to increase, were either altogether, or for the most part laid aside, and other and strange customs sprang up in their stead. For that... Not only did folk die without having a multitude of women about them, but many there were who departed this life without witness, and few indeed were they to whom the pious plaints and bitter tears of their kinsfolk were vouchsafed. Nay, in lieu of these things there obtained, for the most part, laughter and jest, and jibes and feasting, and merry-making and company, which usens women— laying aside womanly pitifulness, had right well learned for their own safety. Few again were they whose bodies were accompanied to the church, more than half a score, or a dozen of their neighbours, and of these no worshipful and illustrious citizens, but a sort of bloodsuckers, sprung from the dregs of the people, who styled themselves pickmen, and did such offices for hire shouldered the bier and bore it with hurried steps, not to that church which the dead man had chosen before his death, but most times to the nearest, behind five or six priests, with little light and whilst none at all, which latter, with the aid of the said pickmen, thrust him into what grave soever they first found unoccupied, without troubling themselves with too long or too formal a service. The condition of the common people, and belike, in great part, of the middle class also, was yet more pitiable to behold, for that these for the most part retained by hope, or poverty, in their houses, and abiding in their own quarters, sickened by the thousand daily, and being altogether untended and unsuccored, died well nigh all without recourse. Many breathed their last in the open street, whilst others many, for all they died in their houses, made it known to the neighbours that they were dead, rather by the stench of their running bodies, than otherwise. And of these and others who died, all about the whole city was full. For the most part one same nuisance was observed by the neighbours, who more by fear lest the corruption of the dead bodies should imperil themselves, than by any charity they had for the departed. To wit, that either with their own hands, or with the hands of certain bearers, and as they might have any, they brought the bodies of those who had died forth of their houses, and laid them before their doors, where, especially in the morning, those who went about might see corpses without number. Then they fetched beers, and some, in default thereof, they laid upon some board or other. Nor was it only one beer that carried two or three corpses, nor did this happen but once. Nay. Many might have been counted, which contained husband and wife, two or three brothers, father and son, or the like. And an infinite number of times it befell that two priests going with one cross for some one, three or four beers borne by bearers, ranged themselves behind the latter, whereas the priests thought to have but one dead man to bury, they had six or eight, and whiles more. Nor therefore were the dead honoured with odd of tears, or candles, or funeral train. Nay, the thing was come to such a pass, that folk recked no more of men that died, than nowadays they would of goats. Whereby it very manifestly appeared, that that which the natural course of things had not availed, by dint of small and infrequent harms, to teach the wise to endure with patience, very greatness of their ills had brought even the simple to expect and make no account of. The consecrated ground sufficing not to the burial of the vast multitude of corpses aforesaid, which daily and well nigh hourly came carried in crowds to every church, especially if it were sought to give each his own place, according to ancient usage. They were made throughout the churchyards, after every other part was full, vast trenches— Wherein those who came after were laid by the hundred being heaped up therein by lairs as goods are stowed aboard ship were covered with a little earth till such time as they reached the top of the trench, moreover, not to go longer searching out and recalling every particular of our past miseries as they befell throughout the city, I say that while so sinister a time prevailed in the latter. On no wise, therefore, was the surrounding country spared, wherein, letting be the castles, which in their littleness were like unto the city, throughout the scattered villages and in the fields, the poor and miserable husbandmen and their families, without succor of physician or aid of servitor, died, not like men, but well nigh like beasts, by the ways or in their tillages or about the houses, indifferently by day and night. A reason whereof, growing lax like the townsfolk in their manners and customs, they recked not of anything or business of theirs, nay, all, as if they looked for death that very day, studied with all their wit, not to help to maturity the future produce of their cattle and their fields and the fruits of their own past toils, but to consume those which were ready to hand. Thus it came to pass that the oxen, the asses, the sheep, the goats, the swine, the fowls, nay, the very dogs, so faithful to mankind, being driven forth of their own houses, and straying at their pleasure about the fields, where the very corn was abandoned, without being cut, much less gathered in, and many, well, not like reasonable creatures, after grazing all day, returned at night. "'blooded to their houses, "'without the constraint of any herdsman. "'To leave the country and return to the city, "'what more can be said save that such and so great "'was the cruelty of heaven, "'and in part, peradventure, that of men? "'That, between March and the following July, "'what with the virulence of that pestiferous sickness, "'and the number of sick folk ill-tended "'or forsaken in their need,' the fearfulness of those who are whole it is believed for certain that upward of an hundred thousand human beings perished within the walls of the city of florence for the advent of that death-dealing calamity had not been accounted to hold so many alas how many great palaces how many goodly houses how many noble mansions once full of families of lords and of ladies bowed empty even to the meanest servant! How many memorable families, how many ample heritages, how many famous fortunes were seen to remain without lawful heir? How many valiant men, how many fair ladies, how many sprightly youths, whom, not others only, but Galen, Hippocrates, or themselves, would have judged most hale, breakfasted in the morning with their kinsfolk, "'comrades and friends, and that same night sucked with their ancestors in the other world. "'I am myself weary of going wandering so long among such miseries, "'wherefore, proposing henceforth to leave such part thereof as I can fitly, "'I say that, our city being at this pass, well-nigh void of inhabitants, "'enchanced, as I afterward heard from a person worthy of credit,' that therefore gathered in the venerable church of Santa Maria Novella, one Tuesday morning, when there was well nigh none else there. Seven young ladies, all knit one to another by friendship, or neighbourhood, or kinship, who had heard divine service in mourning attire, as with such a season. Not one of them had passed her eighth and twentieth year, nor was less than eighteen years old, and each was discreet, and of noble blood. Fair of favour, and well mannered, and full of honest sprightliness. The names of these ladies I would in proper terms set out, did not just cause forbid me, but to wit, that I would not have it possible that, in time to come, any of them should take shame, by reason of the things hereinafter related, as being told or hearkened by them, the laws of disport being nowadays somewhat straitened, which, at that time, for the reasons above shown, were of the largest only for persons of their years, but for those of a much riper age, nor yet would I give occasion to the envious, who are still ready to carpet every praiseworthy life, on any wise to disparage the fair fame of these honourable ladies with unseemly talk. Wherefore, so that which each saith may hereafterward be apprehended without confusion, I propose to denominate them by names altogether, or in part, sorting with each one's quality. The first of them, in her ripest age, I shall call Pompinea, the second Fiameta, the third Philomena, and the fourth Emilia. To the fifth we'll give the name of Loretta, to the sixth that of Nephile, and the last, not without cause, we will style Elisa. These then, not drawn of any set purpose, but for gathering by chance in a corner of the church, having seated themselves in a ring, after divers sighs, let be the saying of paternosters, and fell to devising with one another many and various things of the nature of the time. After a while, the others being silent, Pampanea proceeded to speak thus. Dear my ladies, you may, like myself, have many times heard that whoso honestly useth his right doth no one wrong, and it is the natural right of every one who is born here below to succour, keep and defend his own life as best he may, and far is this allowed that it hath happened wiles that, for the preservation thereof, men have been slain without any fault. If this much be conceded of the laws, which have in view the well-being of all mortals, how much more is it lawful for us, and whatsoever other, without offence unto any, to take such means as we may for the preservation of our lives?' As often as I consider our fashions of this morning, and those of many other mornings past, and methink me what and what manner of discourses are ours, I feel, and you likewise must feel, that each of us is in fear for herself. Nor do I anywise wonder at this, but I wonder exceedingly, considering that we all have a woman's wit." That we take no steps to provide ourselves against that which each of us justly feareth. We abide here, to my seeming, no otherwise than as if we would, or should be witness of how many dead bodies are brought hither for burial. For hearken at the friars of the place, whose numbers come well nigh to naught. our offices at the due hours, or by our apparel to show forth. Unto whosoever appeareth here The nature and extent of our distresses. If we depart hence, We either see dead bodies, Or sick persons carried about, Or those, Whom for their misdeeds The authority of the public laws, While ere condemned to exile, Overrun the whole place With unseemly excesses, As if scoffing at the laws, For that they know the executors thereof To be either dead or sick. Whilst the dregs of our city, fattened with our blood, style themselves pickmen, and ruffle it everywhere in mockery of us, riding and running all about, and flouting us with our distresses in ribald songs, we hear nothing here but such and one is dead, or such and one is at the point of death. Were there any to make them, we should hear dolorous lamentations on all sides. If we return to our houses. I know not if it is with you as with me, but, for my part, when I find none left therein of a great household, save my serving-maid, I wax fearful, till every hair of my body stand on end. Wherever I go or abide about the house, Meseemeth I see the shades of those who are departed. They wear not those countenances that I was used to see, but terrify me with a horrid aspect." I know not whence newly come to them. By reason of these things I feel myself alike ill at ease here, and abroad, and at home. More by token that meseemeth none, who hath, as we have, the power and will to go, is left here, other than ourselves, or if any such there be, I have many a time both heard and perceived that, without making any distinction between things lawful and unlawful so but appetite move them, whether alone or in company, both day and night, they do that which affordeth them most delight. Nor is it the laity alone who do thus, nay, even those who are shut in the monasteries, persuading themselves that what befitteth and is lawful to others alike, sortable and unforbidden unto them, have broken the laws of obedience, and giving themselves to carnal delights, thinking thus to escape, are grown lewd and dissolute. If thus then it be, as is so manifestly to be seen, what do we hear? What look we for, what dream we? Why are we more sluggish, and slower to provide for our safety, than all the rest of the townsfolk? Deem we ourselves of less price than others? Or do we hold our life to be bound in our bodies, the stronger chain than is theirs, and that therefore we needn't break nothing of aught that hath power to harm it. We err, we are deceived. What folly is ours if we think this? As often as we choose to call to mind the number and quality of the youths and ladies overborn of this cruel pestilence, we may see a most manifest proof thereof. Wherefore, in order that we may not through willfulness or nonchalance, fall into that wherefrom we may, peradventure, and we but will, by some means or other escape. I know not if it seem to you as it doth to me, but methinketh it were excellently well done that we, such as we are, depart this city, as many have done before us, and eschewing, as we would death, the dishonourable example of others. We take ourselves quietly to our places in the country, whereof each of us hath great plenty, and there take such diversion, such delight, and such pleasance as we may, without anywise overpassing the bounds of reason. There may we hear the small birds sing, there may we see the hills and plains, clad all in green, and the fields full of corn, wave even as doth the sea. There may we see trees a thousand sorts, and there is the face of heaven more open to view, the which, angered against us though it be, nevertheless, denieth not unto us its eternal beauties, far goodlier to look upon than the empty walls of our city. Moreover, there is the air far fresher, and there at this season is more plenty of that which behoveth unto life, less is the sum of the noise, for that albeit the husbandmen die there, even as do the townsfolk here. The displeasance is there the less, insomuch as houses and inhabitants are rarer than in the city. Here, on the other hand, if I deem aright, we abandon no one, nay, we may far rather say with truth that we ourselves are abandoned, seeing that our kinsfolk, either dying or fleeing from death, have left us alone in this great tribulation. As it were, we pertain not unto them. No blame can therefore befall the ensuing of this council. Nay, dolor and chagrin and belike death may betide us, and we ensue it not. Wherefore, and it please you, methinketh we, we should do well to take our maids, and letting follow after us with the necessary gear, sojourn to-day in this place, and to-morrow in that taking such pleasance and diversion as the season may afford, and on this wise abide till such time, and we be not earlier or taken of death, as we shall see what issue heaven reserveth unto these things. And I would remind you that it is no more forbidden unto us honourably to depart than it is unto many others of our sex to abide in dishonour. The other ladies, having hearkened to Pompanea, not only commended her counsel, but, eager to follow it, already begun to devise more particularly amongst themselves of the manner, as if, arising from their session there, they were to set off out of hand. But Philomena, who was exceeding discreet, said, "Ladies, albeit that which pompania allegeth is exceedingly well said, click." But Philomena, who was exceeding discreet, said. "'Ladies, albeit that which Pomponea allegeth is excellently well said. "'Yet, is there no occasion for running, as me you would do? "'Remember that we are all women. "'None of us is child enough not to know "'how little reasonable women are amongst themselves, "'and how ill without some man's guidance. "'They know how to order themselves. "'We are fickle, willful, suspicious.' Faint hearted and timorous, for which reasons I misdoubt me sore, and we take not some other guidance than our own, that our company will be far too soon dissolved, and with less honor to ourselves than were seemly. Wherefore, we should do well to provide ourselves ere we begin. Verily, answered Elisa, men are the head of women without their ordinance seldom cometh any emprise of ours to good end. But how may we come by these men? There is none of us but knoweth that of our kinsmen, The most part are dead, and those who abide alive are all gone, fleeing that which we seek to flee, in divers companies, some here and some there, without our knowing where, and to invite strangers would not be seemly. Seeing that, if we would endeavour after our welfare, Behooveth us, find a means of so ordering ourselves that, wherever we go for diversion and repose, scandal, nor annoy may ensue thereof. Whilst this discourse was toward between the ladies, behold, there entered the church three young men, yet not so young that the age of the youngest of them was less than five and twenty years, in whom neither the perversity of the time nor loss of friends and kinsfolk, nor fear for themselves, to the veil to cool, much less to quench the fire of love. Of these one was called Pomphilo, another Philostrato, and the third Dioneo, all very agreeable and well-bred, and they went seeking for their supreme solace such a perturbation of things to see their mistresses who, "'as it chanced, were all three among the seven aforesaid, "'while certain of the other ladies were near kinswomen "'of one or another of the young men. "'No sooner had their eyes fallen on the ladies "'than they were themselves spied spite of them. Whereupon quoth Pompanea, smiling, "'See, fortune is favourable to our beginnings, "'not thrown in our way young men of worth and discretion.' will gladly be to us both guides and servitors, and we disdain not to accept of them in that capacity. But Nifile, whose face was grown all vermeil for shamefastness, for that it was she who was beloved of one of the young men, said, For God's sake, Pompanea, look what thou sayest! I acknowledge most frankly that there can be naught but all good, said of which one soever of them. I hold them sufficient unto a much greater thing than this, even as I opine that they would bear, not only ourselves, but far fairer and nobler dames than we, good and honourable company. But for that it is a very manifest thing that they are enamoured of certain of us who are here. I fear lest that our fault are theirs, scandal and blame ensue thereof, if we carry them with us. Well, Philomena, that skilleth not, so, but I live honestly and conscience prick me not of aught, but who will speak to the contrary, God in the truth, will take up arms for me. Wherefore they be disposed to come, verily we may say with Poponea that fortune is favourable to our going. The other ladies hearing her speak thus absolutely, not only held their peace but all with one accord agreed that the young men should be called, and acquainted with their project, and bidden to be pleased bear them company in their expedition. Accordingly, without more words, who who is knit by kinship to one of them, rising to her feet, made for the three young men, who stood fast, looking upon them, and saluting them with a cheerful countenance, discovered to them their intent, and prayed them, behalf of herself and her companions, that they would be pleased to bear them company in a pure and brotherly spirit. The young men at the first thought themselves bantered, but seeing that the lady spoke in good earnest, they made answer joyfully that they were ready, and without losing time about the matter, forthright took order for that which they had to do against departure. On the following morning, Wednesday to wit, towards break of day, HAVING LET ORDERLY MAKE READY ALL THINGS NEEDFUL, AND DISPATCHED THEM IN ADVANCE WHEREAS THEY PURPOSED TO GO, THE LADIES, WITH CERTAIN OF THEIR WAITING WOMEN, AND THE THREE YOUNG MEN, WITH AS MANY OF THEIR SERVING MEN, DEPARTING FLORENCE, SET OUT UPON THEIR WAY, NOR HAD THEY GONE MORE THAN TWO SHORT MILES FROM THE CITY, WHEN THEY CAME TO THE PLACE FOUR APPOINTED OF THEM, WHICH WAS SITUATE ON A LITTLE HILL, SOMEWHAT WITHDRAWN ON EVERY SIDE FROM THE HIGHWAY. Full of various shrubs and plants, all green of leafage, and pleasant to behold. On the summit of this hill was a palace, with a goodly and great courtyard in its midst, and galleries, and saloons, and bedchambers, each in itself, most fair, and adorned and notable with jocund paintings, with lawns and grass plots round about, and wonder goodly gardens, and wells of very cold water, and cellars full of wines of price things were apt unto curious drinkers than unto sober and modest ladies. The newcomers, to their no little pleasure, found the place all swept, and the beds made in the chambers, and everything full of such flowers as might be had at that season, and strewn with rushes. As soon as they had seated themselves, Dianeo, who was the merriest spring in the world, full of quips and cranks, said, "'Ladies,' Your wit rather than our foresight hath guided us hither. And I know not what you propose to do with your cares. As for my own, I left them within the city gates. When has I issued thence with you a while agone? Wherefore do you either address yourselves to make merry and laugh and sing together with me in so far I mean as pertaineth to your dignity, or give me leave to go back for my cares and abide in the afflicted city? Where to Pampinea? No otherwise than as if, in like manner, she had banished all her own cares. Answered blithely, Dionae, thou sayest well. It behoveth us live merrily, nor hath any other occasion caused us flee from yonder miseries. But, for the things with, click. But, for the things which are without measure, may not long endure. I who began the discourse wherethrough. This so goodly company came to be made, taking thought for the continuance of our gladness, holds it of necessity that we appoint someone to be principal among us, whom we may honour and obey as chief, whose especial care it shall be to dispose us to live joyously, in order that each in turn may prove the burden of solicitude, together with the pleasure of headship, and that, the chief being thus drawn, in turn, from one and the other sex. There may be no cause for jealousy, as might happen, were any excluded from the sovereignty. I say that under each be attributed the burden and the honour for one day. Let who is to be our first chief, be at the election of us all, or who shall follow, be it he or she whom it shall please the governor of the day to appoint. And as the hour of vespers draweth near, and let each in turn, at his or her discretion, order and dispose of the place and manner wherein we are to live, for such time as his or her seigneury shall endure. Pompania's words pleased mightily, and with one voice they elected her chief of the first day, whereupon Philomena, running nimbly to a laurel-tree, for that she had many a time heard speak of the honour due to the leaves of this plant, and how worship-worth they made whoso was deservedly crowned withal plucking divers sprays therefrom, made her thereof a goodly and honorable wreath, which, being set upon her head, was thenceforth, but while their company lasted, a manifest sign unto every other of the royal office and signory. Pompania, being made queen, commanded that every one should be silent, then, calling the serving men of the three young gentlemen, and her own, and the other ladies' women who were four in number. Before herself and all being silent, she spoke thus, In order that I may set you a first example, by which, proceeding from good to better, our company may live and last in order and pleasance, without reproach so long as it is agreeable to us, I constitute, firstly, Parmeno, thy now servant, my seneschal, and commit unto him the care and ordinance of all our household, especially that which pertaineth to the service of the saloon. Salisco, Pompilo's servant, I will shall be our purveyor and treasurer, and ensue the commandments of Parmeno. Tindaro shall look to the service of Filostrato, and the two other gentlemen in their bedchambers, What time the others, being occupied about their respective offices, not attend thereto. Misia, my woman, and Philomena's the shall still abide in the kitchen, and there diligently prepare such viands as shall be appointed them of Romano. Paratus Chimera, and Stratilia, it is our pleasure, shall occupy themselves with the ordinance of the ladies' chambers, and the cleanliness of the places where we shall abide. And we will and command all and several, as they hold our favour dear, to have a care that, whithersoever they go, or whensoever they return, whatsoever they hear or see, they bring us from without no news other than joyous. These orders summarily given, and commended of all, Pampanea, rising blithely to her feet, said, Here be gardens, here be meadows, here be store of other delectable places, wherein let each go a-pleasuring at will. And when tears say soundeth, let all be there, so we may eat in the cool. The merry company, being thus dismissed by the new queen, went straying with slow steps, young men and fair ladies together, about a garden, devising blithely, and diverting themselves, with weaving goodly garlands of various leaves, and caroling amorously. After they had abidden their such time as had been appointed them of the queen, they returned to the house, where they found that Parmeno had made a diligent beginning with his office. For that, entering a saloon on the ground floor, saw there the tables laid with the whitest of cloths, and beakers that seemed of silver, and everything covered with the flowers of the broom, whereupon, having washed their hands, they all, by command of the queen, seated themselves according to Parmeno's ordinance. Then came Vions, delicately dressed, and choicest wines were proffered, and the three serving-men, without more quietly tended the tables, all, being gladdened by these things, for that they were fair and orderly done, ate joyously, and with store of merry talk, and the tables being cleared away, the queen bade bring instruments of music, for that all the ladies knew how to dance, as also the young men, and some of them could both play and sing excellent well. Click God damn it. Click. Accordingly, by her commandment, Dianeo took a lute, and Fiometta a Viol, and began softly to sound a dance, whereupon the queen and the other ladies, together with the other two young men, having sent the serving men. Accordingly, by her commandment, Dianeo took a lute, and Fiometta a Viol, and began softly to sound a dance, whereupon the queen and the other ladies, together with the other two young men, sent the serving-men to eat, struck up a round, and began with a slow pace to dance a brawl, which ended, they fell to singing quaint and merry ditties. On this wise they abode till it seemed to the queen time to go to sleep, she accordingly dismissed them all. Whereupon the young men retired to their chambers, which were withdrawn from the ladies' lodging, and finding them with the beds well made, and as full of flowers as the saloon, off their clothes, betook themselves to rest, whilst the ladies, on their part, did likewise. No, nay, had not long sounded, when the queen, arising, made all the other ladies arise, and likewise the three young men, alleging overmuch sleep to be harmful by day. So they betook themselves to a little meadow, where the grass grew green and high, nor there had the sun power on any side there, feeling the waftings of a gentle breeze, they all, as their queen willed it, seated themselves in a ring on the green grass, while she bespoke them thus, as you see, the sun is high and the heat great, nor is aught heard save the crickets yonder amongst the olives. Now, Click! As you see, the sun is high and the heat great, nor is aught heard save the crickets yonder among the olives. Wherefore it were doubtless folly to go any whither at this present. Here's the sojourn fair and cool, and here, as you see, are chests and tables, and each can divert himself as is most to his mind. But, and my counsel be followed in this, shall pass away this sultry part of the day, not in gaming, wherein the mind of one of the players must of necessity be troubled, without any great pleasure of the other or of those who look on but, in telling stories, which, one telling, may afford diversion to all the company who hearken, nor shall we have made an end of telling each a story, but the sun will have declined, and the heat be abated. We can then go a-pleasuring, whereas it may be most agreeable to us. Wherefore, if this that I say please you, for I am disposed to follow your pleasure therein, let us do it. If it please you not, but each until the hour of vespers do what most liketh him. Ladies and men alike all approve the story telling. Whereupon, then said the queen, since this pleaseth you, I will that this first day each be free to tell of such matters as are most to his liking. Then, turning to Pomphilo, who sat on her right hand, she smilingly bade him give beginning to the story telling with one of his, and he. Hearing the commandment, forthright began thus, whilst all gave ear to him, and